So this morning I want to share with you a very familiar story within Christianity. But before I begin, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray one more time. Father God, what an awesome Sabbath you've given us. A beautiful day to come, a comfortable chairs to sit, air conditioning that we don't have to be worried about how we may smell, feel. Lord, we thank you for all of this. And as we are about to open your word, we pray that you will send us your spirit. Thank you for this, this moment, and thank you for giving us this opportunity to focus solely on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember moving back to Massachusetts. Man, I just moved here, and I'm talking about moving again. So when we just moved back from Massachusetts, from Texas, my son was about two years old, and it was 4th of July weekend. It was the first time that my family, all of us, were kind of together for the first time in a while, and we decided to go to, to the beach. And so we made our way over. We arrived a little later than, than I, I wanted. And the beach was just packed with people. I mean, it's 4th of July weekend. And the very little summer that we did have in, in the Northeast, people used every ounce of it. I mean, if it was hot, everybody's on the beach. I mean, here it's hot year-round, pretty much. And the beach is here, and so people are like, eh, it's the beach. And we have beautiful beaches here. That's right. So we, we decided to go to the beach, and, and, and we made our way, and my wife and I, and we have our kids. Victor is about two, Maya's about five, and, and my sister and her two children, my, my mom, my dad, and then my other sister with her three sons, uh, three children. So we're all there. It's, as I said, the first time we're all together in a long time. That was probably the last time we all went to the beach together as a family like that. But I remember when we walked in, we had to park and, and, and walk in and bring our, our, our coolers and beach chairs. And I mean, you guys know what that drill's like. And we're making our way and we're trying, you know, we're, we're weaving through people and making sure that we're not throwing du uh, dust, sand on, on people's faces. And the, the beach is just packed. There's hardly any room for you to sit down. This is pre-COVID. The, the wonderful time where we could go anywhere without having to worry about six feet, please. For some people now, it's ten feet. So we made our way, and we're like, this is it. And we plucked our stuff down on the, on the sand, and we looked around, and we're like, yeah, we're starting to unpack. And my wife's like, where's Victor? I don't know. He was with you. Um, I know he was with you. That was the scariest moment as a parent. When you look around and your child is nowhere to be found. 
in the middle of a beach of, with a multitude of people that you couldn't see 30 feet in front of you because it was so packed. And now here's a little two-year-old that's gone missing. And this knot in my throat just, just came and, and we began, my wife began to go out frantically yelling, Victor, Victor, where are you? We couldn't find him. I'd like to, I'd like to open, invite you to open your Bibles with me, please, to Luke chapter 15. The title for this, message is, this morning's message is Lost and Found. And for some of you who have grown up in Adventist or, or Christian homes, you may have read some of these stories before. And, and so today I'm going to highlight, I'm going to teach you something. I've already said this before. You will get to hear me say this quite a bit. And that is... Context is everything. So one of the things that I like to do that I was taught when I was pre preparing for sermons or even for Bible study, this is a great tool for you to take home. If you get anything, context is everything. We're going to talk about in this particular today, in, in, in Luke chapter 15, we're not going to discuss all three stories. We don't have the time. Because all three stories, we can spend an entire quarter in them of the amount of spiritual and, and, and theological truths we find in them. We can spend an entire quarter. We're not. So here is a quick glimpse. Chapter 15 deals with three main stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost... There's a misspelling here. <laughs> the lost sons it's not one the lost sons we'll talk about that today as i said context is everything and when you open the bible and, and you take and you look at chapter 15 it falls within a storyline do not try to read this you're going to mess up your eyes but I want you to see that the context in which this falls in, that is the entire chapter. When we look at this, this story and we begin to see, there are similarities. One group in these stories is deemed as safe, right? You have the 99 who are, stayed, who are actually are left alone by the shepherd to go out after that one lost sheep. Okay? And the lost sheep is the individual that is lost. There's also an element of search and rescue on all three of them. And there's an element of celebration. So when we start grabbing these similarities, and this is something I like to do, you begin to see patterns. You begin to see where the storylines fall. And when you begin to see these things, things jump out. This is a tool I like to use to see what the Bible is trying to communicate to me. This is something that I would suggest you do. Uh, some of you have iPads, or most of you have iPads now, or some form of tablet, and if you don't, uh, a, a Bible works just fine. Okay? Or a phone, a smartphone. 
But you can begin to start highlighting. You can begin to see code. It, it, it's not subliminal messages. It's not something that, you know, you have to have a degree for. But you can start to see patterns in these stories. And it becomes easier for us to understand what the story is trying to communicate. And as we begin to look at the story, let's get into these elements. The lost sheep, you have the lost sheep, and then there's rejoicing. Then you have the lost coin, and then there's rejoicing. And then you have the lost sons, and there's rejoicing. This morning, I want to talk to you about the lost son. Can you, Maya, can you go back one slide, please? The lost son, to recap the story, is the story of, of a young man who didn't grow up evil. Think about that for a minute. He didn't grow up evil, and, but he began to look at life in his own particular way. And he began to communicate that idea to his dad. And that idea came somewhat like this. And now I'm paraphrasing. Hey, dad, you know, when you die, I'm going to have an inheritance. Can I have it now? Like today? I mean, in a world where today we are so accustomed with fast-paced stuff, right? We, if, listen, I've been without internet for two weeks. Mercy is right. And, and I have unlimited data plan on my cell phone. And I, but when I reach that limit, they cut me down to rather than, I don't know how fast the, the, the speed is when in your normal plan, but they cut me down to 128 kbytes a second. What that means is like, rather than me running through the stage like this, I'm like, come on, email, load. Right? And so the son goes up to his father and kind of says, hey, I need that stuff like now because I want to get out of here. Very impatient. And the father, he says, okay, son, have it your way. Not what you were raised for. Not what we taught you. Not these are, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do, that's on you, but... Your time will come. And he's like, nah, Dad. I got this. My son's very strong-willed. And so whenever I am teaching him, I show him once. And he goes over and he tries it. He's like, but I didn't hit it. I didn't. We love to go golfing together. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hit the ball as far as you did. I'm like, I know, because you need to... And I go back and I try to teach him how to swing. And he's like, I got this, Dad. How often are you and I kind of like that son who says, we got this. I'm going to do this my way. And expect as good results as what I've been taught. And so the son sets out. And as he goes out into this faraway land. You know, Jesus is very intentional about how he 
he words this story. Nothing in this story is by chance. Nothing in this story happens by circumstance or happenstance. And so as, as Jesus is telling the story, he tells him that this, the sun goes far off and he squanders everything. The Bible says in prodigal living, if you have the King James or New King James Version, the prodigal meaning it was just he lavished lifestyle with everything you can imagine. Both good and bad. Mostly bad. And as the money starts dwindling, a famine comes, on, comes in and he finds him without any friends. You know, there are two things that will bring people out of the woodwork and label them, they will consider themselves as friends. One of them is money. And the other one is power. You have both mercy. And so, his money is gone, his power is gone, he has no friends. And Jesus says that in this story that he attached himself to a citizen of that far away land. I'm not going to spend time on what that citizen is or, or, or what it means. But he found himself to a point where he needed to eat and he couldn't. And, and, and he found the only thing that he could do to try to make ends meet. And he began to work to, by taking care of pigs. Now remember what I said at the very beginning of the sermon. Context is what? Who is Jesus talking to when he is sharing this story? Jews. Okay, more specifically, go back to verse 1 of chapter 15 and, and, and read me what that says. This is not on the screen, intentionally. Okay, so there are, there are tax collectors and sinners, and who else? Pharisees and scribes. It's the whole population, essentially. It's both the left wing and the right wing. It's both the traditionals and, and the, and the non-traditionals. It's both the conservatives and the liberals. Jesus is talking to all of them. The Pharisees are the ones who uphold the law. And the scribes are the ones who write down the law. And the Pharisees are, excuse me, and, the, and the, the, the publicans, the tax collectors, are the ones who are despised because they have to cheat their own people to make an ends meet. And they're serving the country or the empire that is oppressing their, his own people. And the sinners, oh, we won't talk about those. The sinners, mercy. And Jesus eats with them. How dare he? And so this conversation, these three stories take place in a battle, per se, between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, but he also has the publicans, the tax collectors, and the sinners. So it's an audience of four. 
And so he says that he begins to take care of pigs. And as I said before, he's talking to the Pharisees, the ones who uphold the law. The Jew would, see, would be found dead taking care of pigs. He's using every element of the, their own religion, their own beliefs. I mean, as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in clean, in clean meats, as outlined in, in Leviticus. Swine didn't fall in, in that list. Does not fall on that list of clean meats. And so it's no wonder Jesus is intentional about using this story. Because the Pharisees would not partake in anything. So he's there taking care of the pigs. And he's giving them these pods to eat and he would have loved to eat that for himself but he couldn't you see sometimes we confuse behavior based on appearances though this young man was in a faraway country he still remembered the principles from home He still remembered the principles. He said, I would love to be able to eat what these pigs are eating, but I cannot. And then the Bible says that he came to himself. It's like, ha, oh, I get it now. You know, for those of you that are teachers, when you have your student and you say, hey, one plus one equals two, and they're like, it's that aha moment. It's that idea that they they understand and so he finally comes to his senses and that's what the emphasis on 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 the original greek here is about he understands what comes what, what is before him he's like you know what why am i suffering in my father's house there's plenty to eat there's plenty even for the slaves they have enough food to eat oh i know I know. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back home and here's what I'm going to say. Look at your Bible. Luke chapter 15. I want you to pay attention to the amount of personal pronouns that is used here. Verses 22, excuse me, uh, 17 and 18, verse 18. Verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, My father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. When we start a quick glance at this, the use of personal pronouns, the word I here, it almost gives the fact that he's like, He's making up excuses or giving himself reasons or trying to convince himself of how bad he has been, right? 
I have done this. But look at, look at the structure. He says, I have sinned against who? Heaven. Do you remember the story of Joseph where he says, how can I sin against God, against heaven, with a sin against his boss, Potiphar, by sleeping with his wife? There is an understanding here of what is taking place. And so he understands what he has done. But he, he says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So he just drops everything and goes. And he begins to walk. And as he's walking home, I love what, this, what Jesus says here. But the father, excuse me, but when, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Some of you are still struggling with that. When he, it, in the other three stories, you have the person, the, you have the shepherd, you have the owner who goes off to seek the lost. But now you have a parent who cannot go. Do you know why? Do you know why the father did not go? Because if the father is to resemble the father, God the Father, he has to allow each and every one of us to make our own choices. He has to give us that opportunity to choose whom we will serve. And so when the father was still great off, the father saw him and had compassion and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is the rescue. And you're thinking to, your, to yourself, no, Pat, that is when he came and he found him. No, that's his rescue. You know why? Check this out. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, it talks about the wayward son. The ancient laws, the same laws that the Pharisees and the scribes knew and were familiar with, it states that a wayward son who goes off and spends his money and is a drunkard and goes completely against all the principles that he's been taught, his fate is determined by death. Death. Mercy. And who, who could execute such a thing? The older brother. Think about it. The older brother in the story had every single right to come out and stone his brother for the behavior that he had manifested before he, as he left. And, after, and, and as he came back, he knew he didn't have anything. How did he know? Because his clothes weren't the same royal clothes. They weren't the same as, 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 an, as a property owner. He looked different. He didn't have any shoes. The Bible tells it. If you read the story carefully, because what does the father do? Bring him shoes. Okay? You see, this story, Jesus could not use and expand on theologically because parables are designed to demonstrate one single truth. 
And the single truth of this story is that Jesus is always waiting. God the Father is always waiting to welcome home the sinner. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. But it's not also just a single to illustrate the fact that he's welcoming and waiting for the sinner to come home. Because when he welcomed the son home, the, the younger son, the oldest son, was out on the field. And we, he, he heard the commotion of this, the, the, the party taking place. He was angry. How? What? My father is going to throw a party for what my brother has done? And so the father, noticing that the oldest son was not there, goes and finds him. And the son says, this son of yours. Whenever my kids mess up at home, I usually go to my wife and says, your son. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? We have a tendency to kind of, hey, that's not me. That's not my brother. And that was the position that this older brother had. He was angry. He was angry not, not just because he squandered everything that his family had worked so hard to, to amass, but it's because he didn't know what grace was. You see, the knee-jerk reaction for those who have never experienced grace, when they see somebody who is being lavished graciously upon, is to be angry. Because it's not fair. Grace isn't fair. Grace is not just. And for a long time, I struggled with that. I mean, you. I love my, ch my children. Don't get me wrong. But when I treat somebody with one of them with grace, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, that's not fair. Daddy, that's not fair. And you know what? It isn't. It wasn't fair. But grace isn't fair. You see, it's not fair when it's given to others, but it's okay when it's given to us. Right? That's why it, the rescue is, is of both sons. See, the Pharisees, they understood exactly the language that Jesus was using. But it's the tax collectors and the sinners who did not understand entirely. Because they needed to understand that they were forgiven. When the, when the father falls on his neck and embraces him and gives him the ring and the robe and the shoes, he's, he's bringing him back to status, the status of a son. The robe is 
to symbolize you are mine. The ring, authority. And the shoes, you're no longer a slave. And so when the father is ultimately talking to the son, I love this quote by this theologian. He says that pardon is nothing less than the welcome of home. Home. So that day by day, the love of home may work in the, in the returned soul until he himself finds the home or becomes the home of God. There are some of us here, and I'm going to put myself in this, in this statement, who have a hard time accept, accepting forgiveness. And this is one of the primary lessons of this story. Don't let this story, don't close off the book on uh, the Bible on this story and not understand this concept. It's not just about coming home. People can come home anytime they want. But when you come home, you know that you are pardoned and you are reinstated as a child of God. That's why Jesus is sharing this story. That's why this particular story has different facets than the previous two. Because when we go off and do our own thing, and we live like the prodigal son, we live away from God's principles. We shine away God, and we shine away our loved ones. But when we understand that we are forgiven, we can celebrate what the Father has said. He was dead, but now he's alive. Look at what these two texts says. John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears the, my word and believes in, in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from what? Death to life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. This is where the rubber meets the road. Some of you may be dead right now. Not because you're doing some wild thing like the prodigal son did, but maybe because you have not realized the gift of pardon that exists between God the Father through Jesus in your life. Maybe you haven't quite allowed yourself to say, I've messed up. And it's okay. Because God has welcomed me back home. That Sunday...
that Sunday that my son was lost. He wasn't lost. wasn't my son that was lost. It was Vivian and I. My son made his way back to the, the lifeguard chair. That we had passed on our way in. Sitting there, playing. and he doesn't know that we're looking for him. And the typical reaction of a parent. What are you doing? How dare you leave us? That was not my reaction. That was not Vivian's reaction. He saw us and he's just playing in the sand. He's like, hey daddy, mommy. As if nothing had ever happened. picked him up and we said son are you okay yeah why wouldn't I be was his I mean he, those weren't his words but it's like yeah I mean I'm here next to the lifeguard I'm good he understood that the chair of the lifeguard was a safe place to be we had taught him that in previous trips to the beach if you ever get lost, find the chair, the lifeguard, and tell them you're lost. They'll find mommy and daddy. But he was so overwhelmed with the things that he, he was just playing in the sand. And we hugged them, we told them we loved them. And I make it a point to tell my kids that I love them. To the fact that they're like, daddy, why do you always say that to us?
my answer to that is because I love you. I'm your dad. The truth is, the truth is, I can only love because I've been forgiven. I've been pardoned and so have you. But some of you are struggling with that and understanding how deep that impacts your life. So this morning, now afternoon, I want to invite you to surrender not because you have been living like the prodigal not because you are a bad person because remember the Pharisees were good people they followed the law the son was a good was a good young man he obeyed his parents but he didn't understand grace he didn't understand forgiveness he didn't understand the life-transforming agent that it really is. Some of you need to embrace that today. Some of you need to understand what salvation and grace looks like. So as the band comes and, and shares the blessing, and shares our last song as we leave, The blessing that Kendall sings reflects the grace that is given to each and every one of us. And I pray that you allow God's grace to reach you, to find you, surrender to it, allow it to be that agent that you are that individual where grace has found a home and God has found a home in and people will see that may God bless you